Congress, everyone. We are back to all talks of the First World Sepsis Congress. My name is Marvin, and over the next two hours, we will have the opening session from the First World Sepsis Congress for you. Sepsis, a global health threat. Please keep in mind to use the chapter markers if you want to listen to one specific speaker. If you want to see the slides of the speakers, please go to YouTube and search for First World Sepsis Congress. Now, let me hand it over to our colleague Tex Kassoon from Canada to get going. My name is Simon Finfer. I'm an intensive care clinician and researcher in Sydney in Australia, and I'm a member of the Global Sepsis Alliance Executive. It's my honour and privilege to welcome you to the first World Sepsis Congress, which is a prelude to the fifth World Sepsis Day next Tuesday. As we're all aware sepsis is a major global health problem which makes holding a World Sepsis Congress highly topical at this time. Sepsis affects approximately, well, in excess of 30 million people worldwide each year and causes over 5 million deaths. And over the next two days, we're going to hear from politicians, policymakers, clinicians, scientists, and importantly, also from patients who have survived sepsis and families of people who have had sepsis and some have succumbed to sepsis. And so we'll hear about all aspects of this terrible condition that will help us to reduce the global burden of sepsis. It just remains for me to thank those whose hard work and dedication and selflessness have made this first uh, World Sepsis Congress possible. Uh, firstly, Conrad Reinhardt and Marvin Zick, who have done, I think it will be fair to say, more work than anyone else on this Congress, and certainly a good deal more than me. I'd like to thank the sponsors, the main sponsor, the Center for Sepsis Control and Care um, in Jena, Germany, and Jena University Hospital, and also our company sponsors, without whom this just would not have been possible. Over 100 national and international organizations who have promoted the Congress to their members, and our Global Sepsis Alliance World Sepsis Day ambassadors, Minister Helga Braun, uh, Sir Liam Donaldson, and Dr. Thomas Frieden. And finally, the German Ministry of Health for its support and encouragement. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the next two days. I'm sure we're all going to learn a great deal from each other as we work together to try and reduce the burden of sepsis. I'd like now to hand over to my colleague on the GSA executive, uh, Tex Kassoon, who will chair the first session for us. Thank you very much, Simon. And um as you've heard, I am Tex Kassoon. Um, I'm the Vice Chair of the Global Sepsis Alliance, and I would like to welcome each and every one of you to this uh, first World Sepsis Conference. Uh, we have uh, an exciting program for you, as you've heard, and we have had approximately 14,000 registrants. So uh, I'm very grateful for each and every one of you for joining us. As you heard, this first session um, in the uh, Congress is uh, entitled uh, Sepsis, a Global Threat. And what we have is a series of speakers who are 
leaders in the field, giants in the field, and policymakers who will frame the discussion for us as uh, far as uh, the global threat is concerned. Um, indeed, as Simon mentioned, this is um, a prelude to our World Sepsis Day, which is uh, on September the 13th. So we look forward uh, to the next two days of spending time with you and also um, your World Sepsis Day endeavors. The first speaker of this uh, session is uh, Dr. Helge Braun, who is a professor of anesthesia and critical care uh, uh, in Germany. Uh, Dr. Braun understands, uh, with his background, understands sepsis very well, and after obtaining his higher education qualification, uh, he completed compulsory military service, and then he returned where, uh, to study medicine, going to work as a research assistant in the Department of Anesthesiology, Intensive Care Medicine, and Pain Therapy at the University Hospital in Gaibin from 2001 to 2009. He also completed his doctorate in 2007 on the topic, the impact of intraoperative tachycardia on the postoperative prognosis. He was a member of the German uh, Bundestag from 2002 to 2005, and then again from 2009. Uh, in addition, from 2009 to 2013, he served as the Parliamentary State Secretary at the Federal Ministry of Education and Research, during which time he was responsible for issues concerning young researchers, research in the life sciences, general and vocational training, and the internationalization of education and research. Uh, he has also been serving as the Minister of State to the Federal Chancellor, the Federal Government Coordinator for Bureaucracy Reduction and Better Regulation, and Federal uh, Government Coordinator for relations, relations Between the Federation and the Lander. I can think of no better person uh, to speak to us uh, on the uh, challenges of, of the international community uh, of states. Uh, Professor Braun, take over. Oh, thank you very much for this uh, friendly introduction, and uh, dear ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, really a pleasure to, uh, to be able to address this uh, first ever online World Sepsis Congress. This online Congress is a forum for exchange between experts from around the world, enabling them to participate in sessions on various aspects of the fight against sepsis, from the prevention to the diagnosis, from the treatment to the challenges posed by the management of pandemics. A lot of um, these uh, topics, for example, education, uh, educating healthcare workers or optimize our healthcare systems for our early diagnosis or for fast uh, evidence-based treatments are things that every state has to confirm by itself. But there are a lot of uh, topics that we in the international context of policy we are talking about and we are working on. And, um, I want uh, you to give a little bit an idea of uh, the, from my opinion, the most important three priorities that we are working on at the moment. The first is improving the international response to health crises, and secondly, it's combating the antimicrobial uh, resistances, and thirdly, it's uh, addressing the neglected tropical diseases. Let me start with the first of these areas, the international crisis response. Infectious diseases are amongst the most common causes of death worldwide. 
the Ebola uh, epidemic in West Africa was a painful reminder of the devastating impact of the uncontrolled outbreak of such diseases. Most recently, the Zika infections in South and Central America have drawn our attention to their impact once again. Close international cooperation is vital in order to be better prepared for such epidemics in future or in the best scenario to be able to prevent them in the first place. Only together we will be able um, to fight such global challenges. The Germany's federal chancellor put forward a six-point plan to improve the prevention and responses to international health emergencies. This plan shows, among other things, the creation of pools of doctors and medical staff like the EU medical courts, the white helmets, which can be mobilized swiftly and deployed in a crisis. Other key points include reform of the World Health Organization, the rapid provision of funds in emergencies, strengthening the primary health care systems in particularly vulnerable countries, and doing more to foster the research and development of new treatments. With a view to implementing these proposals, Chancellor Merkel, the President of Ghana and the Prime Minister of Norway suggested that a high-level panel uh, be convened for the purpose of uh, adjusting the organizational structures of the United Nations and especially those of the WHO in order to respond to epidemics. Early this year, the panel issued 27 recommendations which are soon to be discussed by the UN General Assembly. The UN Secretary General has in the meantime established a high-level global health crisis task force. The remit of this task force is to support, to monitor, and to coordinate implementation of the high-level panel's recommendations. Intact healthcare systems and the implementation of the international health regulations are important factors for effective crisis response. This is particularly vital that WHO structures enable the WHO to assume a central coordinating role in the global response to any health emergency, a point that was also made in the high-level panel's recommendations. In May, the World Health Assembly thus adopted a comprehensive reform to develop emergency capacities. The WHO will in future respond to all kinds of health threats through a unified program, the Health Emergency Program, and will also take um, preventative measures and conduct risk assessments above all the fields of infectious diseases. It has furthermore set up the WHO Contingency Fund for Emergencies, from which the initial emergency aid can be financed when a crisis strikes. Germany supports the WHO reforms and also advocates providing sufficient additional funds for the organization to enable it to better fulfill its tasks. The international response to health emergency was a central issue that the Elmau summit of the G7 last summer during German's presidency. The G7 uh, summit in Japan in 2016 picked up on this theme and has confirmed the central role of the WHO in this context. Likewise, in Japan, the World Bank launched the Pandemic Emergency Financing Facility. The 
PEF is designed to ensure affected countries against the risks of pandemics and in addition to the WHO contingency fund ensured the rapid flow of funds in emergencies. The establishment of this innovative financial instrument was welcomed by the G7 and also supported by Germany. Germany would also like to make international response capabilities to health crisis a focus of its G20 presidency in 2017. Accordingly, last week, G20 summit in China charged the German G20 presidency with drawing up proposals to address the impact of global health risks on the world economy. Furthermore, the German government plans to test newly created international structures by conducting a G20 crisis management exercise. Now I turn to my second key issue, antimicrobial resistances. Here, too, we need a concerted action at international level if we are to combat AMR. The G7 firmly supports the WHO Global Action Plan on AMR. As stated in the ALMO Summit in 2015, the G7 has expressed its commitment to improving the prevention of infectious diseases, to enhancing antimicrobial resistance monitoring, and to furthering the responsible use of antibiotics. It uh, moreover considered there to uh, be an increased need for the development of new antibiotics, alternative therapies, and diagnostic tools. Whatever aspects are being addressed, the One Health approach under which human and animal health are viewed is a key. Japan, too, has continued the work on AMR as a part of its G7 presidency in this year, and G7 has reaffirmed its common commitment to combating um, AMR and supports a high-level meeting on AMR at the UN General Assembly in the week after the next on the 21st of September. The UN is to adopt a political de declaration also on this matter. Together with the UK and South Africa, Germany has also put the issue of antimicrobial resistance on the G20 agenda this year during the Chinese presidency. We believe that the G20 can generate considerable added value on this issue. We wish to focus first on all the development of new antibiotics, and we definitely want to keep the issue in the spotlight during the Germany's upcoming G20 presidency in 2017. Research cannot be sidelined in the effects to counter AMR, since research is indispensable for the development of new antibiotics. Germany considers support for public-private partnerships to be a key way forward in this regard. New antibiotics must furthermore be affordable for emerging economies and developing countries, and steps must be taken to ensure that they are used prudently. With this in mind, the WHO and the Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative have launched GARD, an initiative for global antibiotic research and development. Urgently needed antibiotics, vaccines, alternative therapies, and uh, rapid point-of-care diagnostics are to be developed in a global product development partnership. At the same time, this initiative is to test options for the regulating the use of new medicines. Germany is providing financial support for this. 
ensuring that antibiotics are used responsibly does, however, remain a vital goal. Now I come to my third and final topic, that is uh, combating neglected tropical diseases. In this field, the German government attaches priority to research and development and the introduction of new means to control these diseases. The G7 countries agreed to better coordinate international research and development efforts into both traditional NTDs and also poverty-related diseases in general, including AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. In this context, I would like to mention the success of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. The German government has increased its funding activities with respect to research into neglected and poverty-related diseases. Only the Federal Ministry of Education and Research is making available sum of 130 million euros over a five-year period. This money will be used to support measures such as product development partnerships for new medicines, vaccines and diagnostics for neglected and poverty-related diseases, as well as research networks working on health innovation in sub-Saharan Africa. That concludes my short overview of the general challenges faced by the international community in the global fight against infectious diseases. Similar great changes surely exist in the fight against SEPs in particular, and I'm confident that this Congress will make its contribution to overcoming these challenges. I wish you a very successful event, and thank you for listening. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Braun, for this uh, very uh, sort of uh, informative and enlightening talk. Um, I think we have time for one question, and I'd like to pose uh, this question to you. Uh, you mentioned appropriately the issue of concerted action that, needed, that is needed at the international level. Uh, it would seem, uh, with your background, you have a very, uh, very uh, good grasp of what sepsis is and hence has the ability to articulate it very well and um, in the international forum uh, will uh, sort of have the mantle of leadership when it comes to this. My question is, how do we get the considered action at international level and how do we uh, uh, encourage other countries uh, to participate? I think there are two ways that we can uh, go parallelly. The, the first is the, the way of the governments. And um, as we started in the German government talking about this topic on the G7 level, we had the seven most industrialized countries in the world talking about these problems. Afterwards, we now go in the next process, the G20, where 20 uh, important countries all over the world are facing the problems. And I'm really hoping that um, we will also get uh, uh, an action on all these uh, talks afterwards. The third thing is um, the, the working in, in every country from the medical system itself. It's really important that medical doctors inform about sepsis and make in their societies clear that there's a really special problem. It's not that simple to to. Uh, tell the people what is sepsis and it's like a heart attack or a stroke because it's a little bit more difficult in diagnosis and a little bit more uh, difficult to understand what's happening physically. 
But I think it's uh, really important that all the physicians and the healthcare workers are informed well and also the society. And so I think initiatives like the World Sepsis Day, the Global Sepsis Alliance, are really doing a really good work to bring these ideas to the people all over the world. Okay, thank you very much uh, uh, for your time, and we look forward to working with you. Um, thank you. Next presenter is Dr. Murray Paul Keeney, uh, who was appointed Assistant Director General at the World Health Organization in October 2010 and is now leading the Health Systems and Innovation Cluster. Prior to this, Dr. Kinney directed the WHO Initiative for Vaccine Research since its inception in 2001. Um, major successes under, under her leadership were the development and licensing of new vaccines against meningitis and, gain, and uh, against pandemic influenza in developing countries through pioneering the transfer of technology and know-how. Uh, during 2015 and 16, Dr. Kinney led WHO's Ebola research activities. Uh, I'd like to um, turn, turn it over now to Dr. Kinney uh, for her um, lecture. Dr. Thank Kinney. you very much. It's a, it's a great pleasure and honor to be able to present to this audience on uh, focusing uniquely on sepsis. So my presentation will, will concern sepsis management and prevention with a WHO perspective and therefore a global lens on this problem. I will first look at, uh, at highlights, present to you some highlights of the burden of sepsis as we see it from this global lens. And then I will present to you a snippet of what the WHO is doing to address this challenge. So as, uh, as we all know, um, possible serious bacterial infection is a serious health problem. Sepsis is an important global health problem, and in the majority of cases, sepsis is due to possibly serious bacterial infection, here abbreviated as PSBI. According to a recent systematic review and meta-analysis, in 2012, as high as 6.9 million cases of PSBI occurred. So where did it occur? Well, the majority, 3.4 million cases, were found in South Africa, where the largest population lives. But very worryingly, 2.6 million of these cases were recorded in Sub-Saharan Africa and uh, 0.8 million in Latin America. Globally, the incidence of possible serious bacterial infection risk was 7.6% and the case fatality rate of 10%. Among neonates, every year worldwide, we have a little more than half a million deaths due to sepsis, pneumonia, and meningitis. Turning now to, uh, um, to healthcare associated infection, or HAI. Globally, hundreds of millions of people every, every year are affected by infections acquired during healthcare delivery. And this is increasing everywhere, and so all of us somewhere know somebody who's been affected with one or more HAI. Many of these infections occur through serious bacterial infection that evolve to sepsis. In particular, uh, there are three places where most of these HAI occur. 
the first place is incentive care. In high-income countries, up to 30% of patients are affected by at least one healthcare-associated infection in intensive care units. In developing countries, the frequency is thought to be at least two to three times higher. Second place where this occurs is in neonatal care. Among hospital-born babies, infections are responsible for 4% to a striking 56% of all causes of death in the neonatal period. The incidence of neonatal sepsis is as high as 6.5 to 38 per 1,000 live hospital-born babies. The third place where this infection occurs is in maternal care. In Africa, up to 20% of women who have delivered through C-section get a wound infection affecting their health and ability to take care of their newborn child. Infection are therefore also the underlying cause of 11% of maternal death and 25% of uh, oh, it's happening here. Of, uh, um, of newborn child death. So this is a significant contribution to many deaths attributed to other conditions. After having reviewed the burden, let's now discuss how WHO is addressing the issue. As some of you may know, a number of programs at WHO lead activity focuses focusing on sepsis. These are located in departments concerned with first one, perinatal newborn and child health, second, maternal health, third, patient safety and infection prevention and control, and lastly, but very importantly, pandemic and epidemic diseases and emerging infectious diseases. The following activities are supporting sepsis management and prevention. So we are working in, in these five areas of work. The first one being networking and coordinating patient partners' actions. The second is dealing with developing evidence-based guidelines to tackle the problem of, uh, of sepsis and sepsis management. Third, we are developing policies and standards in this area. Fourth, we are developing implementation strategies with a special focus on low resource setting. And finally, a fifth area of activity is to lead and catalyze research in this area. Please allow me now to give you some more information on, on only a few of these activities. Now, uh, let me address first WHO guidance on management of neonatal sepsis. Based on clinical experience and expert opinion, WHO issued in 2014 a guidance document on the management of neonatal sepsis. A cautious approach is proposed based on three actions. First, referral to a patient to the hospital. This is really something that we insist on. Whenever possible, the patient should be referred. Second is the use of injectable therapy based on injectable and ampicillin benzyl penicillin for seven to 10 days. Third is the adoption of a single regimen irrespective of the severity of the disease. 
Turning now to um, the development of guidelines for management of possible serious bacterial infection and neonates and in neonates and young infants when referral is not possible. So this is when the guidance just mentioned before cannot be used. This guidelines is for low resource setting in a context of primary health care only when referral is not possible. These guidelines are expected to rationalize the use of antibiotics for young infants with suspected infection, and therefore, they are expected to contribute to reduce the risk of antimicrobial uh, anti resistance. These treatment guidelines is for use by professionally trained health workers and not, not adapted for use by lay community health workers. Health workers who want to and need to, to implement these guidelines should be appropriately trained, supplied with necessary equipment and medicines, and supervised for the identification of signs of illness, treatment if referral is not accepted, and close follow-up. Monitoring of a program is essential for ensuring high quality of identification, treatment, and follow-up activities. Furthermore, we insist in WHO, like many of other stakeholders, that surveillance for antimicrobial resistance should be strengthened in all countries. Major stakeholders from the maternal, newborn, and sepsis community are taking part of an, in a new initiative, which is called the Global Maternal and Newborn Sepsis Initiative. The members of this initiative include the Global Sepsis Alliance, FIGO, International Pediatric Association, the International Confederation of Midwives, and many donors. This uh, initiative, this new initiative, has uh, a number of objectives. Three of them I would like to highlight here. First is to raise awareness of the problem. The second is to assess the burden and the management of sepsis. And third is to develop and test effective strategy to prevent, detect, and successfully manage maternal and newborn sepsis. Priority of work for this initiative uh, are, are as follows. First, strengthening the programs where they exist. Second, generation of research, development, and evidence. Third, fostering innovation. And very importantly, fourth, uh, act on global advocacy to really implement a change. As part of, uh, of the work that is being carried out by the initiative and following extensive literature review and technical consultation, a new definition has been proposed on sepsis. A new definition reads as follows. Uh, maternal sepsis is a life-threatening condition defined as organ dysfunction resulting from infection during pregnancy childbirth, post-abortion, or postpartum period. And we would like uh, that all of you join this new initiative and work together in order to, uh, to end the problem of, uh, of maternal and newborn sepsis. In order to do this, WHO will launch an awareness campaign that will which will culminate in the week of September 13, so next week, around the 2017 World Sepsis Day, with the, the ending maternal and newborn sepsis week. 
During that week, a massive and coordinated data collection effort will take place to assess the burden, and efforts will be followed by the implementation of other specific projects. This is an invitation to all stakeholders that have an interest in maternal and newborn sepsis to engage in this uh, uh, new, uh, new maternal and newborn sepsis week, and we all would like you to, to get into this as quickly as possible as this is happening next week. There is a specific presentation in the World Sepsis Congress about this topic, and please invite all those interested to attend. It will happen at session 5 on 8 September at 8.15. Turning now to epidemic clinical management, entering into the epidemic and pandemic control. Of course, in, in the course of epidemics, deaths are mostly due to evolution of the infection to sepsis conditions. Appropriate and timely clinical management of sepsis is crucial to reduce the fatality rate. For example, if you see uh, the cases with Ebola in 1415, viral hemorrhagic fever case fatality can go from a striking 80 to 90% to 40% in West Africa to 18% only in Europe and the US with proper management. We have also WHO pooled analysis showing that the, the case fatality rate for H5N1 can decrease from 60% to 30% with proper management. The clinical, epidemic clinical management program at WHO aims to save life from emerging infectious diseases by optimal clinical management. The program develops standard of care and new intervention and leads clinical research. It focuses on, uh, on dangerous pathogen infections, most, and in particular with most severe patients with critical conditions complications such as acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, sepsis, septic shock, cytokine storm, multi-organ failure, and cytokine storm. A very important role is the coordination of response networks that we try to do through a new network, which is called EDCAN, for emerging disease clinical assessment and response network. EDCAN wants to support frontline clinicians and, and to strengthen global collaboration with clinicians, researchers, non-governmental organizations, national health authorities, WHO stakeholders to improve clinical management of patients with emerging infectious diseases. It wants to accelerate production of scientific knowledge and catalyze new dynamics for pandemic and epidemic disease control. From bench to bed and beyond, from basic science to animal models, from regulatory uh, mechanisms to clinical trials to improve patient care and to public health policy. Among its prominent functions, the program developed guidelines and tools for clinical management of emerging infectious diseases in a range of settings, from hospital to outpatient centers, with special focus on developing countries. Now, just turning to uh, infection prevention and, and control in a, in a WHO setting. Uh, so what are the functions that we try to, uh, to achieve? Well, the function is to, uh, about leadership and connecting and coordinating. We want to, to provide uh, leadership to promote IPC policy and best practices 
to launch and sustain global campaign to raise awareness on the problem of uh, um, hospital-acquired infection and improve IPC at the point of care, to develop evidence-based recommendation and effective implementation and behavioral change strategy, to support countries to build effective IPC programs, to propose and use frameworks to measure impact on policies, practices, and patient outcomes and learn from implementation. These functions are translated in technical work in a few areas, just to, to highlight a few of them. Uh, for example, on guidance on IPC procedure to combat the spread of antimicrobial resistance or the promotion of health hygiene in health in healthcare. So why is uh, uh, infection and control so important for patient of outcome? As you know, it is most important because many hospital-acquired infections and their consequences include sepsis are preventable. Available data demonstrate this. Effective IPC programs lead to more than a 30% reduction in overall hospital-acquired infection rates. You can do this reduction through improving hand hygiene practices, for example, and this has been shown to reduce through hand hygiene, reduce pathogen transmission in healthcare by 50%. You can find quite a number of other examples, but let me give just another one. Sorry, um, we're running out of time. If you can um, wrap up now, thank you. Yes. Uh, that uh, um, uh, it is where am I? Uh, um, safety culture and IPC program can also reduce surgical infection risk by 45% in African hospitals. So in conclusion, WHO needs several programs focusing on sepsis. Our role on supporting sepsis management and prevention spans from a number of activities, networking, coordinating, to developing evidence-based guidelines, developing and rolling out implementation strategy, and promoting and leading research. Mechanisms for better coordination and synergy have been recently established and will lead to a more corporate approach. We are eager to work with all of you, with all partners, to raise awareness on the importance of sepsis and to re develop resolution and action to tackle this problem. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Kinney. Um, unfortunately, we don't have uh, time, and uh, we will be able to um, send the questions to you later and hopefully get some answers. Uh, the Absolutely, next we'll be delighted to do so. Thanks very much. Uh, the next speaker is uh, Mr. Akim Steiner. Uh, Mr. Steiner is the Executive Director of the United Nations Environmental Program, and uh, he has had a very storied career. Uh, but recently, from 2009 to 2011, he was also Director General of the United Nations Office at Nairobi. And before joining uh, UNEP, Mr. Steiner, Steiner served as the Director General of the International Union for Conservation of Nature, um, and prior to that, the Secretary General of the World Commission on Dams. Uh, he has had a very storied professional career, has worked in many parts of the world, and has received many awards. Um, I turn it over now to Mr. Steiner for his uh, address. 
Thank you very much and uh, good morning, good afternoon or good evening to um, everybody who is joining this Congress. Thank you for the invitation to address you. Just to complete the brief introduction, um, I stepped down a few weeks ago as um, UN Under Secretary General and the Executive Director of UNEP and have now assumed uh, a new position which in many ways relates even more closely to the Congress theme and that is as Director of the Oxford Martin School at the University of Oxford um, where a great deal of research across various disciplines is being coordinated. So that's just by way of future contacts also. My task um, is a um, <clears throat> fairly clear one and uh, follows very nicely from uh, my colleague at the WHO who has just presented. It is really one more of strategy and tactics of how to move something that is clearly through medical and clinical research more and more evident something that is not only a major problem but is also eminently addressable and requires both, yes, more data, more research, but above all, greater awareness, understanding, and triggering different kinds of responses. And so my task is a little bit more in the context of making sepsis better understood, more actionable, and also uh, in terms of a strategy, both at national and international level, uh, move from essentially a potentially low-hanging fruit of addressing a major health issue to becoming integral to both health strategy and, and policy. Clearly, there are many approaches, and the medical and clinical side, uh, also the initiatives that particularly under the umbrella of the WHO uh, that have been taken point already to a growing momentum, and I want to pay tribute to the Global Sepsis Alliance because both to me and I'm sure to many others, it has been integral to appreciating both the magnitude of the issue um, also, it's very different realities in terms of when you come from a United Nations or a global perspective, uh, the global context of um, both very mature, well-resourced health systems, as well as those that have far greater limitations and need to deal with the same phenomenon under much more trying circumstances. Um, what I'd like to do this afternoon is to make a plea to further um, refine and, and also develop the GSA's strategy that links sepsis into a broader context because quite clearly it is also in the linkages, the multiple benefits and the different pathways to addressing it that its relevance will become self-evident. At the same time, there are choices to be made and sepsis also competes both with many other priorities across health systems and even in the broader development and national finance context. And we also know that there are sometimes choices to be made between treating something downstream and treating something upstream. And particularly in the developing world, um, sometimes you will have to make hard choices. Do we invest in a strategy to combat malaria or do we invest more resources in addressing sepsis, which often is, you know, very much associated and may actually be the um, final step in, in one of those disease pathways. The recently adopted Sustainable Development Goals uh, at the United Nations General Assembly last year, I think, are a very useful pointer also to those who care about sepsis and who understand that addressing uh, a particular issue such as sepsis, both in the broader context of health systems management, national health policy, and the broader development Mm, debates that take place 
is a critical part of building constituencies, um, drawing linkages in terms of multiple benefits and demonstrating ultimately to the public, but also to politicians, let's be frank, the value of actually taking the issue of sepsis more seriously and putting it more centrally on the agenda, including on the global health agenda. And I think here again, the World Health Assembly, uh, represented through national governments who govern the World Health Organization, certainly have a key role to play here. Just to give you a sense, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals are a real departure from past thinking. They are both far more comprehensive. They are integrated in terms of bringing an economic, a social, and an environmental dimension, no longer as three separate spheres, but trying to make, if you want, the DNA of sustainable development better understood in terms of how one conditions the other or in turn can undermine the other. And I think this is particularly relevant when we are talking about sepsis in the you know, health public policy arena, because on the one hand, the Sustainable Development Goal 3 on good health and well-being clearly is the most obvious entry point, reducing global maternal mortality, um, uh, life birth and preventable death and the epidemic of communicable diseases, achieve universal health. These are elements and a series of indicators that have been developed for this particular Sustainable Development Goal 3. So without going into great detail, here is an obvious link for both the Global Sepsis Alliance, also in the context of the WHO, but beyond also the specific health sector policy to look at the rationale and also at the end of the day for an analysis of how a cabinet, a prime minister, uh, a government will determine policy priorities, financial allocations, budget decisions. And clearly, this is particularly relevant when we now begin to disaggregate sepsis along the lines of, let's say, more developed, less developed economies or those that have more resources available and that have less resources available. Very striking in the work that um, you have undertaken and that was published in the paper also with uh, Jonathan Karapetis on pediatric sepsis in the developing world. Um, sepsis is the leading killer of children worldwide and, and the final common pathway, as you put it, to death and disability from serious infectious diseases. So uh, quite clearly we have here an element that goes beyond just the health and clinical dimension, it actually has to do a great deal with poverty, with development, and with the capacity of countries to address and reduce inequalities. So Sustainable Development Goal 1 on uh, eliminating poverty, Sustainable Development Goal 10, reduce inequalities, clearly is also one that can be very much invoked when we are addressing the issue of sepsis. I was very struck by uh, the statistic in your paper, which um, quotes that children from these countries, those with low income uh, economies, are now more than 18 times more likely to die before the age of five years than in high income countries. And it is actually something that is getting worse because it says, whereas in 1990, they were 14 times more likely to die. These are very stark statistics that speak not only to a health perspective on the issue of sepsis, but actually on both a global issue of poverty, of inequality, and one that is now at the center of a global agenda, the 2030 Agenda on Sustainable Development. Let me take one step further, and again, um, to echo Marie-Paul Kenny's um, presentation, gender equality, quite clearly sepsis, particularly in low-income contexts 
have a far greater relevance in terms of um, maternal health and everything that is associated on a gender disaggregated health analysis. Um, the limitations in terms of health systems, treatment, and care uh, therefore take on not only a poverty and inequality dimension in addition to health, but also a gender equity perspective. Again, something that will make, <clears throat> I think, many more people understand the relevance of uh, responding to sepsis. And finally, the clear prevalence of malaria, pneumonia, and diarrheal diseases, which are so often a common feature in the deaths that are due to sepsis, clearly are a particular focus of anyone working in the context of health policy investments and strategies in developing countries. All this to say that the sustainable development goals, abstract as they may seem to somebody working in the clinical context on sepsis, are in fact a very important and relevant reference point for a broader approach to addressing sepsis, not so much from a treatment um, perspective and immediate clinical response strategy, but more from the point of view of trying to build constituencies, uh, create policy priorities, mobilize resources, and therefore be able to also invest in differentiated strategies that echo to the different capacities of health systems as they quite clearly and starkly exist in the world today. But let me also pick up on one other issue, which I think is the very encouraging one. And again, I want to echo your work with uh, Jonathan in, in the paper that I cited, where I was very struck by the fact that, yes, low-income and high-income countries have very different statistics, but it is not always the explanation. You cite in here an example where Cuba and the United States, obviously very different in income terms, achieve very similar um, rates of actually um, managing sepsis. And another example is quoted where the opposite holds. So we clearly have evidence that where a health policy system, national um, priority setting, addresses sepsis proactively, very immediate and significant results can be achieved. So let me conclude my, my brief remarks by just saying that I think beyond the pure medical and clinical dimension, we face both a challenge of public awareness in the sense of support for greater attention to the issue, health systems and policies that must be evolved, and also investments that must be undertaken, be it in terms of further research, be it in terms of actually enabling national health systems to respond to this, including in the constrained low-income country settings where some of the most dramatic results could be achieved. And from that perspective, I think uh, the work of the Global Sepsis Alliance not only deserves great support, and that is also my reason for continuing to be associated, but I think also in terms of our work here in Oxford, where also the George Institute and the Oxford Martin School are located, we hope that we can, in one form or another, contribute to the understanding of how knowledge about opportunities to reduce mortality, uh, poverty-related differential treatment pathways, and also the issue of gender could be addressed in the broader context of the evolution of health policy and implementation. And with that, um, thank you very much for inviting me to join you today, and um, I wish you a very successful Congress. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Steiner. I think um, you have shown us you have uh, a passion for 
this, uh, the uh, Global Sepsis Alliance and the work that is being done in sepsis and a good grasp of the uh, the plight and the situation as, as far as different countries in the world and different areas. Um, we have one question here um, concerning your uh, new appointment at the Oxford Martin School side, um, Oxford Martin School, and the uh, question is, um, how will the fight against sepsis and the fight for sepsis recognition fit into the agenda? Uh, well, very briefly, this is my second week on the job, so I uh, obviously need to be cautious in terms of um, conveying to you a sense of full appreciation of <laughs> quite how uh, this would work. But certainly let me say that our role is very much to help address through cutting-edge research, particularly also interdisciplinary research, some of the great opportunities and challenges in the 21st century. Health is a key element amongst them. The University of Oxford, obviously renowned as a global center of excellence, but also in a partnership with the George Institute from Australia that is located with the Oxford Martin School here, and that looks particularly at how scientific knowledge can help to inform health system policy and, and rollout strategies and implementation. I will certainly take um, my association with the Global Sepsis Alliance into the discussions here. We already have significant work ongoing on infectious diseases um, under the Oxford Martin School umbrella through other programs, and I hope that in the coming months um, I may be able to also demonstrate the linkages of that work to, to the broader context of, of sepsis and, and the objective of making it more actionable, particularly in the global context. So um, give me a little bit of time, and I hope I'll be able to, to do so. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank Our you. Bye-bye. Our next speaker is uh, uh, Mr. Joe Chiani. He is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Massimo, uh, the global medical technology innovator. Uh, Mr. Chiani has been pushing for patient safety and innovation in healthcare for more than 20 years. And Mr. Kiani and Massimo have helped to solve the unsolvable problems plaguing patient monitoring while building a great company known for innovation and integrity. In fact, um, he's committed to patient safety to the extent that he's responsible for creating the Patient Safety Movement Foundation and Coalition and the World Patient Safety Science and Technology Summit with a goal to eliminate more than 200,000 preventable patient deaths each year to zero by 2020. Uh, uh, with that introduction, I'd like to um, have uh, Mr. Kiana give his presentation. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here today to talk about the patient safety movement's role in eliminating patient deaths due to sepsis. The role, the powerful role that I believe data sharing will play in detecting sepsis early enough to do something about it and why zero should be our goal. Thank you, uh, Conrad, Marvin, Simon, and Tex for creating this program. Thank you all for joining us today to learn and more importantly, act so that no one will die prematurely. Sepsis is one of the leading causes of preventable death and the primary cause of deaths from infection, with hospital mortality rates between 30 to 60%. While I am grateful to each one of you for your miracle of healing, 
Unfortunately, too often patients die prematurely in our hospitals due to lack of process, which makes human errors fatal. The work you do is incredible. Five billion people live in countries where surgeons, anesthesiologists, safe surgeries are not present. In those countries, approximately 17 million people die needlessly. The two billion people that do have access to miracles of modern medicine, approximately four million people are saved annually because of your work. But that number should and could be seven million. That's because three million people die due to medical errors. And in my country, over 200,000 preventable deaths happen in our hospitals each year. It is now the third leading cause of death in our country. Sepsis is one of the leading causes of preventable deaths. When I think of sepsis, I can't help but think of Rory Stoughton. You'll hear from his father later today. I first heard of sepsis and septic shock 25 years ago. I remember how many people were looking for the one monitor, the one test that would warn clinicians of onset of sepsis. I also remember how at least one company was looking for the miracle drug to cure sepsis. While there is no silver bullet for treating or detecting sepsis, there are regimens for both that work very well. But it was Rory's story that made me realize things had to change and companies must share the data their products are purchased for. I used to subscribe to the New York Times. I remember reading Rory's tragic story in July 2012. The story not only broke my heart, but it frustrated me. So many signs were missed. High respiration rate, high pulse rate, high temperature, high white blood cell count. In the high-velocity healthcare system of ours, they were all missed. But I knew that computers were faster than we were, and if they could have access to the vital signs monitors, the blood testing equipment, a sepsis detection algorithm could have saved, could have seen what the disarray of clinicians missed, that Rory had sepsis from the bacteria on his skin that entered his bloodstream when he dove for the basketball in a school gym. There was one big problem, however. None of the companies making these products would share their data. My company was one of the guilty parties. Our industry hiding behind lack of standardization that had helped create, that, that we had helped create, were refusing to share the data that our products were being purchased for. I already had been thinking of stepping in and trying to do something about the increasing number of preventable deaths, but another fateful event remained. The week following Rory's New York Times story, I was traveling with President Clinton to Africa to see the impact of the great work he was doing from improving access to healthcare to 
building more schools and improving independent farming, which I, by the way, was helping him with. During that trip, I told President Clinton about the number of preventable deaths. And I told him how I wanted to do something about it. I told him that how the new millennium goal should no longer be just access to health care, but for all people to have access to a health care system that assures them safety and dignity. He agreed. He said to me, if you try to do something about it, I will help you. I was excited. Afterwards, I called my friend Peter Pronovos and said, I'm thinking of holding a summit called the Patient Safety Science and Technology Summit, and President Clinton is coming. Will you come? So our mission was born. Zero preventable deaths by 2020, and the patient safety movement was formed with the following goals. Number one, unify the healthcare ecosystem. That means hospitals, healthcare technology companies, government, patient advocates, clinicians, engineers, etc. We had to work together to deal with this growing problem of preventable deaths in our hospitals. Number two, identify the challenges that are killing patients to create actionable solutions. We call them actionable patient safety solutions. Number three, ask hospitals to implement actionable patient safety solutions. This was going to be a commitment-based movement, a commitment-based meeting, and no one could come to our meeting unless they made a commitment. We also wanted to promote transparency and aligned incentives. Number five, we asked healthcare technology companies to share the data their devices generate in order to create a patient data superhighway to help identify at-risk patients early enough so something can be done about it. Number six, promote patient dignity and love. And number seven, empower providers, patients, and families through education of medical terminology and medical errors so they may better advocate for their loved ones. These are the 12 actionable patient safety solutions we've created to date, from culture of safety to optimizing obstetric safety. But you'll note the one I've highlighted in green is the early detection of sepsis. I welcome you to go to patientsafetymovement.org and take a look at these apps. They are very easy to follow, checklist format, and easy to implement. The impact to date we have had is humbling. Hospitals that have committed to zero are over, in January were reported to be over 1,600. The number of lives saved annually by these committed hospitals was 24,643 lives. And at the 2016 summit, we reported 46 companies have made the pledge to share their data. And hospitals around the world are making a huge difference, especially on sepsis. Many hospitals, including UCSF, Hogue, Mayo, Parish Medical Center, Englewood, Monash Hospital, have implemented sepsis actual patient safety solutions, and together they have saved over 4,876 lives annually. UCSF, for example, has reduced sepsis-related mortality to 12% from the previous 30 to 40% rate that they had. 
that's over a 50% reduction in sepsis-related mortality. And they are not true. They have saved 121 lives in just two years. So, obviously, there are steps that can be taken to detect sepsis early. But one test is not enough. You need multiple devices, multiple measurements, and together a pattern can be detected. And that's why the data sharing is so critical. Because once you know someone has sepsis, there's a treatment for sepsis. As you can see on this slide, and I know many others with far better uh, personal knowledge can speak to that later today and tomorrow. But the companies that have signed the pledge, now there's nearly 60 of them from companies like Cerner to Philips, GE, Draeger, Zoll, of course, Massimo, but they all have made the pledge to share the data with whoever can use it. So I come to the last part of my presentation, which is why zero? Not only because every life matters, the world's life matters, but Stalin infamously said, one life lost is a tragedy, a million statistics. We can't let the sheer size of life lost numb us. Every life matters. Apathy and its inertia in our hospitals is our biggest enemy. So not only because every life matters, but because zero lets us know if we are done or not. If we have done everything, if we have gotten to the root of the problem. To err is indeed human, but to not place processes in our hospitals to avoid errors becoming fatal is inhumane. I believe zero is not just possible, but it's a requirement and our responsibility. Please don't let apathy win. Embrace the brilliance of action out of kindness. While innovation and data might might be king, action out of kindness is God. So please act. Learn today. I'm so happy so many people have joined from so many countries, but learn the simple steps of detecting sepsis and the actions you need to take to treat it. Thank you very much. I will take any questions if you have, if we have any time now. Um, oh, thanks very much, uh, Mr. Kiani. Uh, I think we'll have time for one question. There's one here. Um, what are your views on patient safety in low resource settings, low equipment, human resource, and high patient load? We have to change that. Uh, I believe access to safe surgery is not just a luxury. It's a human right. And I think we all have the responsibility, both people in those countries that don't have them, as well as in countries like ours that have them, and I think we can work together to create solutions that are sustainable, that can be afforded, because you need not just love, but you need some of these technologies, some of these basic tools to not only provide safe surgeries, but to hopefully uh, make sure patients go home and nothing bad happens to them in between. We're currently working with many incredible foundations uh, from the Gates Foundation, Clinton Foundation, 
and others to World Federation Society of Anesthesiologists and, and so forth to come up with sustainable solutions for those countries. Because 17 million people are lost each year in those countries with 5 billion of our population. I hope that answered your question. Yep. No, thanks very much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Yep, thanks. Um, our next speaker, we're going to have a change in the program uh, for, um, for now. And the next speaker is going to be Conrad Reinhardt, who really uh, needs no introduction. He's the chairman of the Global Sepsis Alliance and the, one of the key initiators of World Sepsis Day. Uh, he's a member and, chair, and uh, chairman of the International Sepsis Forum and a member of the Council of the World Federation of Societies of Intensive Care and Critical Care Medicine from 2008 to 2013. He's also a member of the Germany National Academy of Science, Leopoldina, and chair of the, chairman of the Sepsis Foundation. So with that introduction, I would like uh, Conrad to um, give his talk. Thanks, Dex, for your kind introduction. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me talk about why we, call, we need a call to action. We need it to stop sepsis, the leading cause of preventable deaths. And we need it because the burden of sepsis is grossly underestimated and the knowledge and awareness on sepsis is poor, and even more so because lack of awareness kills. According to the Global Burden of Disease Report, with more than 10 million deaths, and probably this is an underestimation, still infections are the second number cause of death on the global level. What is not known, what is, not known is the fact that Sepsis is the primary cause of the, uh, from infection. And uh, that's why, globally, sepsis is more common than heart attacks and kills more people than any cancer. Interestingly, lower respiratory tract infections are the number one cause of global years of life lost, according uh, to the Global Burden of Disease Report. However, this means, again, that the number one cause of global year's life lost is sepsis because you will not die from a lower respiratory tract infection when it does not progress to sepsis. And we heard this number already, 30 million estimated deaths and cases, not cases, per year. And again, this is probably highly underestimated because this data is derived from epidemiological studies in the US, in Europe, and Australia. And there's no data at all in those parts of the world where most of mankind live. And as the global distribution of deaths from infectious diseases is very unequal, and most of these deaths occur in Africa and Asia, uh, that's, again, uh, is very indicative that the current numbers are grossly underestimated. And even in the US, with costs of over 22 billion US dollars annually for hospital treatment of sepsis, this makes sepsis the number one cost driver 
in this country, and we have similar data that this is also true in Germany. And despite these scaring numbers, the term sepsis is not known by the individuals in all countries. And sepsis must become a household word. Currently, only 7% of people have heard the word sepsis in Brazil, 21% in Sweden, in Canada, 29%, UK, 40%, US, 44%, and 49% in Germany. There's good news, because according to a poll in the US done by the Sepsis Alliance there, only several weeks ago, it changed. So the awareness of sepsis has increased due to the great work that has been done in the U.S. during the last year. And I'm aware of the fact that similar numbers are also there from the U.K., where also the U.K. Sepsis Trust and uh, families, etc., did a great job to increase awareness from sepsis. So we can make a difference. And clearly, a lack of awareness kills. Superman star Christopher Reeves died from sepsis, which derived from a pressure wound, which is very common in paralyzed people. However, in his environment, it was only recognized after days or a week that he's in a serious condition when he had a heart arrest. And ironically, his publicist said he died from heart failure. He was brought to a hospital on a Saturday when he had this heart attack and died on Sunday. Clearly, you must not die from a wound infection. So this is also true that we have a problem of poorly recognition of sepsis in the hospital setting. This report by the National Confidential Inquiry into Patient Outcome and Death from 2015 in UK, which interestingly was called Just Say Sepsis, revealed that sepsis is poorly mentioned and named also in the healthcare summary. More than 46% of patients, uh, in this, their cases, sepsis was not mentioned in their discharge summary. Likewise, sepsis in almost 60% of patients was not mentioned uh, in the uh, death certificate of these patients. So, we need to change this. The public understanding of sepsis is shaped by the term blood poisoning. But it's fully acknowledged and known and understood that sepsis may not only arise from wound infections. Everybody should understand that sepsis is a life-threatening condition that arises when the body's response to an infection ensures its own tissues and organs. And everybody should know the most common infections that can lead to sepsis, which pneumonia, number one, intra-abdominal infections, number two, and urinary tract infections and the infections from the skin, etc., cetera, uh, are following. And basically, um, in the resource-poor settings, also the most common sources of sepsis are pneumonia. We have heard this but also diarrheal diseases, malaria, dengue, Ebola. You will hear a talk uh, by somebody from the Médecins Sans Frontières making the point that the main cause of death 
uh, in Ebola is septic shock. This is same is true from hemorrhagic fever, yellow fever, and many other tropical infections because they all result in organ dysfunction and uh, uh, shock. Everybody should know also that sepsis is an emergency that requires acute care measures beyond infection control, such as fluid resuscitation and organ support. And that's why it's so crucial to, to, to call it sepsis when it's sepsis, because it's not enough to only treat and act with, micro, with antimicrobials. We need these additional uh, measures, which are cheap measures, by the way. That's why, for another reason, the GSA calls to action because sepsis can pre be prevented by vaccination and clean care. And everybody should join the great campaign by WHO uh, and uh, under the leadership of uh, Professor Didier Bidet, one of our supporters, and Benedetta Allegranzi, uh, because they have done a great job and involved more than 100 countries uh, also uh, to, to work on this issue. And we need also to learn from the great success story of the Vaccine Alliance Gavi. By immunizing more than 500 million children over the last 10 years, they were able to prevent and avert more than 7 million deaths. And what we should learn here, that vaccination must also become standard for the adult at-risk population. So the vaccination rates, at least in the developed world for children, are quite good, but they are pretty poor for the elderly above age 60, which also are at risk for sepsis, for the healthcare personnel, for pregnant women, for asplenic and immunocompromised patients, patients with diabetes, chronic lung, heart, liver, and renal, renal disease, patients with chronic alcoholism. Alcohol, uh, so they need to get vaccinated. And there is excellent data from prospective randomized study in more than 85,000 adults above 65 years in the Netherlands. They were able to reduce invasive pneumococcal disease, which is nothing else than sepsis, and pneumococcal pneumonia by 75% and 45% respectively, using uh, a vaccine which uh, has... Uh, which works with 13 strains uh, of uh, pneumonia or pneumococci. So also the TSA urgently calls to actions because sepsis morbidity and mortality can be, be reduced by up to 50% by early recognition and treatment. And this is cheap. It's not much money. And in some countries, obviously, evidence sepsis recognition and especially treatment seems to work. These numbers that mortality rates in Australia from ICU-treated patients over the last 10 years went down from 35% to below 20%. The same, albeit from a higher range in different severities of sepsis, this is true in the United Kingdom, where also there's a continuous uh, reduction. However, in a country like Germany, you see that there's also a slight decrease, but our mortality rate from septic shock is still in the range of 50% and our mortality
mortality rate from severe sepsis is over 40%. So even in a country like UK, where we have seen a decrease of ICU-treated sepsis patient mortality in ICU sepsis patients, uh, this report I just uh, told you about uh, from the National Confidential Inquiry into Patient Outcome and Death revealed that between 20 and 50% of patients admitted to hospitals in the UK are diagnosed and treated too late. This is especially true for patients with severe sepsis uh, and uh, sepsis without organ dysfunction, and it's also uh, not ideal for patients with septic shock. And this is associated with delayed therapy. In 44% antimicrobials was delayed. In 42%, surgical source control was delayed. And according to the reviewer's opinion, this had a bad outcome, a bad effect on outcome. And the authors of this report made the point that sepsis is a major cause of avoidable mortality and morbidity. And they also made the point, and luckily this was taken up by the media, that sepsis needs to be treated the same as heart attacks. We have standards to care about heart attacks, but we don't have yet standards uh, to treat sepsis in every hospital. We have standards to treat stroke, et cetera, et cetera, and we must get uh, this also for sepsis. So similar deficits also exist in Germany. This is from a trial with 40 hospitals and more than 4,000 patients, where only one-third received their first, first antimicrobial ancient within one hour. And what we found out again, that each hour delay in administration of antimicrobial therapy resulted in a 2% increase in 2088 mortality. And those patients who received their source surgical source control had a mortality within six hours, had a mortality rate of only 28% compared to 36% in those patients where this therapy was delayed. This is the bad news. The good news is that we can make a difference by quality improvement programs like this program in Canada, who achieved over a two-year period a relative reduction in sepsis mortality by almost 20%. And the same is possible, and this has been demonstrated in several hospital uh, chains in the U.S., uh, by Northwell, uh, by Kaisers Permanente, and also uh, by Mountain Healthcare, uh, that by Healing and uh, improving early recognition and evidence-based therapy, there was a dramatic reduction of sepsis mortality. And also in Germany, a hospital, university hospital from Greifswald, who instituted such a program in 2008, were able to decrease their mortality compared to the period before by 20% uh, over uh, this uh, period. So we need to learn from these quality improvement projects. And we also needed to learn from other fields like cancer and HIV who have been highly successful to decrease mortality. And they understood better than we did that for any illness to rise to political prominence, it needed marketing. 
and they understood that a disease needed to be transformed politically before it could be transformed scientifically. That is why the fight against sepsis requires coordinated efforts by all stakeholders, health authorities, healthcare providers, healthcare workers, patients and their families, science, society, and policymakers. And it's of utmost importance that we closely get support and work closely with the World Health Organization. And we are on a good way on this. That's why we request, as GSA, a resolution on sepsis by the World Health Assembly in 2017. And we also request and encourage national action plans against sepsis. And the good news is that the German speaker, speaking ministers of health in October last year took a decision to put sepsis on the international agenda. And the TSA calls to support this initiative to get a resolution uh, by the World Health Assembly in next year uh, on, the, on the agenda. And I'm very glad that the German Minister of Health, Hermann Gröhe, in his address and message to the participants of this Congress, stated that he is lobbying for next year's World Health Assembly to adopt a resolution on sepsis. And I won't want to finish this talk to stress the fact that the engagement of families affected by sepsis was and is of utmost importance. I mentioned just a few. The Rory family, the, Flat, the Flatley family, the Mead family in UK, who didn't accept that their loved one and their children died unnecessarily uh, from sepsis. So they spoke out and they made it happen that, for example, the Secretary of Health in the UK before the House of Parliament had to admit that there are problems with the quality of sepsis management in the National Health Service. Hindi also made the point that sepsis is a condition whose time has to come. And hopefully, and I'm quite optimistic, that they will take action and they will invest in quality improvement. And when the CDC only four weeks ago launched an excellent program to increase awareness in the US and beyond, and they called it Think Sepsis and made the point that times matters. And when now you will find sepsis mentioned in the A to Z list of the CDC, which was not the case when the Staunton family looked up their ADC list when they had lost their son. And this has changed. And Tom Frieden has become, as a director, one of our ambassadors. This is the way to go, and I think we are, we are on a good move through this joint action between families and healthcare providers and physicians as us. So what can you do? You should join the fight against sepsis. You should support and lobby again in your country for a resolution on sepsis by the WHA. You should ask for a national action plan. You should initiate quality improvement programs in your hospital and region. Spot sepsis, treat sepsis, say sepsis. I thank you for your kind attention and would like 
that you support us also in the future. Thank you for your kind attention. Uh, thank you very much, Conrad. Uh, we just have time for one quick question. Uh, there is a question here. Uh, someone, I'm a pharmacy student. How could I help to decrease sepsis? I think um, they are, it's, it's a very good question because in some countries, physicians in, in emergency departments are allowed uh, only uh, to apply uh, broad-spectrum antimicrobials uh, after approval by the pharmacist. And um, I, th I think either it, this has to be organized in every, in every hospital uh, that the pharmacist is uh, right available or that such rules, uh, at least uh, for emergency cases, are overcome. Okay. Thanks very much, uh, Conrad. We really appreciate your time. Uh, our final speaker uh, for this uh, morning is uh, Ms. Halima uh, Salisu Kabara, and she is uh, calling from Nigeria. We've had um, some technical difficulties, but hopefully we can hear her clear uh, and loud and clear this time. She is the Vice Chairman of the Northern Zone West Africa College of Nursing and Chairman of the National Association of Nursing Services of uh, Nigeria. She uh, single-handedly initiated the surviving sepsis campaign in, the state, in her state, Nigeria, by creating awareness to this uh, initiative and sensitizing healthcare professionals in her hospital, the Amino Kano Teaching Hospital, as well as four major hospitals in the state um, and the Ministry of Health. So with that uh, introduction, um, I'd like to welcome you, um, Halima, uh, for your presentation. Thank you very much uh, for this uh, invitation. I'm uh, honored to be on this platform. Um, my talk is on sepsis control, how nurses can model the mastic. The emergence of life-threatening infections, such as severe acid respiratory syndrome, cells, and re-emerging infectious diseases like plague and tuberculosis have highlighted the need for efficient infection control programs in all healthcare settings and capacity building for healthcare workers so they can implement them. An infection control program puts together various practices which, when used appropriately, restrict the spread of infection. A blue sky element is absolutely critical in the battle against the burden of disease. By understanding disease mechanisms at a fundamental level, how infection works, a similar picture of the disease is obtained, providing important solutions for those working uh, on protection against diseases. This is a common and often deadly, and it remains the primary cause of death from infection, despite advances in modern medicine like vaccine, antibiotics, and intensive care. While the prevalence of substance is global in nature, a larger percentage of the cases occur in the middle and low income countries. Around 70% of the 9 million global deaths in units and infants. Are attributable to sepsis with the majority of cases occurring in Asia and Sub Saharan Africa. The burden of sepsis in Nigeria, a high incidence of bacterial, parasitic, and HIV infection combined with low hygienic standards and vaccination rates, widespread malnutrition, and lack of resources explain the disproportionately high morbidity and mortality from sepsis in this country. 
Nigeria. There are very few compassionate studies on the incidence of sepsis and often limited to single clinical statistics and therefore defective in presenting a complete picture of sepsis burden across all groups of patients. There are innumerable problems within primary healthcare delivery systems which affect the whole population. These are poverty associated with poor housing, unsatisfactory environmental sanitation, polluted water and food, which predispose to malnutrition and infectious diseases, uneven distribution of health services and shortage of physicians, nurses and trained health personnel in rural areas, as well as high mortality and low average life expectancy with a lack of access to health services. Nurses are well positioned to influence and improve care in this vulnerable patient population. Healthcare providers can prevent infections. They educate the patients and their families about the early signs of severe infection and sepsis and when to seek care for an infection, especially those at higher risk. Disparities in health these are challenges. The Nigerian healthcare has offered several downfalls. This is Nigerian strategic position in Africa. The country is greatly on the side in the healthcare sphere. Health facilities, health centers, personnel, and medical equipment are inadequate in this country, especially in rural areas. There are many variations in the ways that medical care is given to rural people. The psychosocial health Rural dwellers in the, in the neglected aspects of services provided. That results in the knowledge of rural health workers to respond satisfactorily to identified problems. Other factors include lack of motivation in the workplace, including poor remuneration, unhealthy rivalry between various categories of health workers, non involvement of private health sector in the planning and implementation of primary health care and poor management of the sanitation system. No health system can function effectively without an effective workforce. As a matter of fact, human resources form the pillar of saving health systems. Immunization rates in northern Nigeria are some of the lowest in the world. According to 2003 National Immunization Survey, the percentage of fully immunized infants in the targeted states was less than 1% in the world. 1.5 in Yobi, 1.6 in Yamfara, and 8.3 in Katsina. As a result, thousands of children are victims of vaccine preventable diseases. Every 10 minutes, one human dies of, on account of pregnancy and childbirth in Nigeria, giving a total of 15,000 per year. This means about 800 billion die in every 100,000 lifetimes. For the nine out of ten of newborn births are prevented. For the of three million children are born yearly in Nigeria, this is about 11,000 every day. One million of these children die before the age of five years. To promote optimal care, nurses need to be aware of the guidelines and understand the rationale for implementing the recommendations, accepting ownership and realizing you can make a difference in patient outcomes. Provides motivation for change. Healthcare providers are key to preventing infections and illnesses that can lead to sepsis. Public health and healthcare are important concerns for developing countries, and access to healthcare is a significant factor that contributes to a healthy population.
not even sure isolation. Patients suspected or known to have committed diseases could be admitted directly to an admission facility in the ICU or referred to a female hospital. Adherence to proper use of disinfectant, proper maintenance of medical equipment that uses water, water quality standards hemodialysis and proper ventilation standards to specialized care um, environment. The environmental infection control strategy must be based on the principles of the chain of infection, regardless of the disease of concern. National Association of Mass Resuscitation of Nigeria, as the leader and center of critical care in Nigeria, is championing the surviving service campaign, establishing updated orders and protocols to identify and treat the we empower people to solve issues that are urgent without much bureaucracy. We train and educate all staff on subjects and patient safety issues. We document and communicate issues and practice things. We encourage people to use standard procedures and compliance to hand hygiene practices. Implementation. There's a strong collaboration between the emergency department, general practice unit, and intensive care unit is deficit to the model we are about to use. Getting the administrative uh, buy-in to support the initiative of creating the subject for safety is about to happen. Collaboration with African North leaders to form a coalition, African Service Alliance is on the way. Notice role in shaping the landscape. When not comply with the, the acceptable standard of practice, outcomes are bound to improve and contributions of the profession to sound healthcare delivery will become more significant. Most of are critical in the healthcare system because they make the system function. They are patients advocates. Most of have identified that settings and emergencies and have placed settings on their priority list by developing most like certain protocol and care vendors. Most of the liaison between all other healthcare professionals and the patient, family, and community create a social control link to make sure that the WHO five minutes of hand hygiene is affected. to. What is the data miners? They document costs. Use trusted protocols in use or that's not in use. Once interventions are implemented, they follow up monitoring, assessing, evaluation, and caring to adults and older children. The notice are at the front line. Early identification of risk factors in the community and hospital, they develop protocols for vital signs of release and are reporting. But to make sure the antibiotics are started within one hour as recommended. Provision of education to the parents about signs and symptoms of infection and when to return to hospital. They monitor baseline data on current practice, practices to prevent infection, like hand and hand washing, use of protective, personal protective equipment and maintaining the daily temperature to normal range. Community-based health education and outreach activities are carried out in order to increase antenatal care and treatment services in immunization public. The modeling is taking the lead. In my environment, certain disease region and more lives are being left steadily. Upon coming into this knowledge, I decided to own the issue and do something about it. In 2012, the first world testing day was marked on Anime Committee today, which involved the electric medicine to the multidisciplinary staff 
the policy and decision makers in the state. In 2013, we took the first campaign to the first four major offices in Kano, where we sensitized the staff on hand hygiene practice and distributed alcohol based hand sanitizers. Also, same year, Nanin tested the formidable four as the theme of its annual scientific conference. There is over 50 critical care nurses all over Nigeria were educated and tested. 2014 to 2016, no such thing was marked with public specialization by media for quality materials were translated in household language were distributed. Not less service protocol. In Nigeria, the only service campaign is fairly new, and currently there is no laid down guideline for service. Therefore, to start the administration, I've gotten the administrative buy-in in my institution. To develop the protocol using the bonded concept, and it goes directly to the elements for diagnosis and treatment, especially with severe cases and septic shock. And it will take one patient at a time through a series of incremental steps that will eventually lead to systemic change within institutions on the larger healthcare system as a whole. I have lobbied both the Minister of Health in Kano and the Federal Minister of Health to support the initiative to get success on the agenda of the World Health Assembly to recognize sepsis as a priority world disease. To get this resolution adopted at the United Nations World Health Assembly meeting in September 2017. In conclusion, this is at the vanguard of sepsis care. Sepsis is still a time bomb. Let's redouble our emphasis on specialized training and education. The focus is on early recognition and diagnosis of sepsis, thus saving more lives. And the significant effort towards infection control and fighting will give antibiotics and no measure of food within the hour. We do environment and can we teach and treat. Two questions ask fast. The substance, the order, um, the substance protocol was uh, distributed to all of us. Scanning the hospital for them to know how to use and what to do when they have certain cases that are nearly to their door uh, added. Now, these are some activities that we had um, and then um, the Global Service Award. Here's an ICU in an urban area in the north and another one in the south. Um, underneath, beneath the pictures, uh, are the local in the facilities, healthcare facilities. In the real area in my town. Thank you uh, for listening. Okay, Th thank you very much, um, Alima. That was a very um, inspiring presentation. I think we'll have thank to uh, we'll have to close off this session now. And what I'd like to um, uh, do is really. Uh, Thank, thank the, um, the speakers. We've heard from world leaders in policy from the um, WHO. We've heard from uh, policymakers also uh, from the, minister, uh, the Ministry of Health in Germany, industry leaders, academic leaders, and clinical leaders. I think that they have framed quite nicely the global threat, but more importantly, I think that these enlightened presentations um, and, uh, and speakers have really uh, given us a path forward, given us uh, some idea of where solutions may be sought and how we can all uh, 
participate in uh, the Global Sepsis Alliance and, and um, as we work towards getting a UN resolution on sepsis. So with this, I'd like to thank all uh, of you who have uh, uh, joined in to listen to this presentation. I'd like to thank all the presenters, and I would like to thank everyone who has uh, uh, been so, so much support to the Global Sepsis Alliance uh, for uh, many years. Uh, so thank you very much, and I um, would also like to thank uh, the, the sponsors. I'd like to thank uh, uh, the team that um, is now um, helping us put this all together, and I hope that um, m many of you will join the other sessions um, that we have. Please also uh, join us uh, on our Facebook. Uh, you can um, uh, contact us on Facebook and also um, uh, get on Facebook and sign the declaration, as well as um, going to our website and seeing the activities. So with this, I'd like to thank you all and uh, wish you all a good evening, good day, good morning, wherever you are. Thank you. This was actually the last session of the First World Sepsis Congress. And as of now, all sessions and talks are freely accessible on YouTube and iTunes. Thank you so much for your interest over the last six months. I strongly encourage you to stay tuned to this channel as we might release individual talks or make an announcement regarding the second World Sepsis Congress. I would also like to thank everybody who worked so hard to make all of this possible. Thank you. Also, thanks again to all our sponsors, which you can find on the Congress website.